0: Hey everybody, welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. A speaker has not been elected. 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 The Honorable Kevin McCarthy of the state of California is duly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives. Well, we have a special guest commentator today, uh, the Count from Sesame Street. It took McCarthy 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 times. Ah, 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 ah. Thank you, Count. 15 ballot votes. 15 ballot votes. It was the longest speaker's race since 1859. That's a long time ago, people. Five days. Five days they were at it. Okay? Each vote except maybe the last couple. I think Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat leader, he won all of those. He should be speaker. He is the de facto speaker. It might just take him two years to get the gavel. One of the most crazy things that happened last night was in the 14th vote, apparently Matt Gates promised McCarthy that he was going to vote for him. And instead of voting for him, he voted present, which just means I'm not voting for him, but that's going to, in effect, bring down the threshold. And maybe he can win because he doesn't need 218 votes. He only needs 216 or 215 or whatever that threshold comes down to. So at the end of the 14th vote, McCarthy, an angry McCarthy, gets up, walks over to where Matt Gates was sitting alongside Lauren Boebert and starts to bully him. I mean, we're watching this play out because uh, C-SPAN had a, <laughs> the run of the house because no one was there to tell him they can't because uh, Congress technically wasn't in session. And there wasn't a speaker. We're watching this play out. Matt Gates looks like a deer in the headlights. McCarthy is clearly pissed off. And then all of a sudden, Congressman uh, Mike Bruce. Rogers from Alabama walks over and starts haranguing Gates. And it looks like it's going to come to blows. And another congressman comes over and has to physically restrain Rogers. This is in the very same cha- chamber where the January 6th insurrection took place partly two years ago to the day, almost to the hour. It's unbelievable that we were watching this play out in the way we, we uh, were able to. But in the end, McCarthy won because he sold his soul. He cut all kinds of deals with the crazies. The inmates will be running the asylum. McCarthy is gonna be wearing a straitjacket for the next two years or the next two months or however long it takes uh, for him to either uh, quit or get thrown out or voted out. It's just unbelievable that somebody with no core, no vision, no vision with anything other than to simply be Speaker, is the Speaker of the House. The concessions he made, for example, are so dangerous. Motion to vacate. All it takes is one caucus member to initiate a vote to get rid of the Speaker. So, for example, Marjorie Taylor Greene could waltz into the chamber, say, I want a billion dollars for my Jewish space lasers. And if McCarthy says no, she can scream, motion to vacate. And they could take a vote, and guess what? McCarthy could be gone. Or any number of other things, just as crazy. They want to impeach Jill Biden. It could, it's going to be a total shit show, and if he doesn't kowtow and do whatever they want, they're going to vote him out. Uh, It's that old expression, careful what you wish for. So in addition to the motion to vacate, there were other concessions allegedly made, like various committee assignments, more Freedom Caucus members on uh, on the Rules Committee. He promised uh, allegedly to hold votes on bills that are important to the Freedom Caucus, uh, like on issues about border security and term limits. Uh, There's also a super PAC called Congressional Leadership Fund, which he's aligned with and uh, apparently agreed not to get involved in primaries on open seats. And when, they get, when they're done with this, when the dust settles and they get back to quote-unquote normal uh, and try to govern, what are they going to do? They're going to start investigating Hunter Biden, uh, Dr. Fauci. They're going to try to impeach Joe Biden, uh, Health and Human Services Secretary Becerra. This is going to be the normal stuff, the, ma- the, the, main, the new mainstream Republican uh, caucus. But... McCarthy's gonna be operating in a straitjacket. So it's like why have a dream to get your dream job only to set yourself up for disaster from the get-go. The other thing that's important to sort of ponder is the Trump effect uh, and how much or little it was this past week, how much it mattered in, in, in the ninth inning last night, uh, we all saw that saw that photo of Marjorie Taylor Greene very proudly h- holding up her phone with the initials DT on it because uh, Trump was on the phone. She tried to give it to uh, Rosendale, another holdout. Uh, he waved her off. So, you know, Trump is clearly still there. His, his, his power, his influence, the fear factor, all of that has certainly been diminished over the last several weeks and, and months. But it'll be interesting to really try to see how this whole story unfolds. In, in specific terms, just how much influence Trump did wield yesterday in pushing uh, the victory to McCarthy. Uh, we certainly know what McCarthy th- feels because this is what he said last night. I want to especially thank uh, President Trump. I don't think you should doubt, anybody should doubt his influence. He was
1: with me from the beginning. Somebody wrote the doubt of whether he was there, and he was all in. He would call me and he would call others. And uh, He really was, I was just talking to him tonight, um, helping get those final votes. What he's really saying, really, for the party and the country, that we have to come together. We have to focus on the economy. We've got to focus, make our borders secure. We've got to do so much work to do, and he was a great influence to make that all happen. So thank you, President Trump.
0: So there's no mystery there. He still has his. Uh, he's he's still a, a servile puppy. He is still uh, just a weak, feckless coward uh, who's pledged undying fealty to his master. Um, the issue is how much power uh, will the master have going forward? Uh, Jen, you read something this week that you want to read? Yes, um, Jeff Greenfield uh, clearly articulated how I feel and uh, the optimism
1: that. Reagan conveyed has been ripped up root and branch and replaced by Trump's view of American carnage, a nation assailed by enemies of every sort, foreign and domestic. Even after the rejection of election deniers last November and key state races, more than 150 members of the GOP House caucus will arrive in Washington, asserting the belief that in one way or another, Joe Biden did not legitimately win the White House. It is this legacy, Trump's legacy, that now defines the party. And I, I just it, it's horrifying. Yeah,
0: it is, and, be, and you know the biggest takeaway is that McCarthy and and those who control the Republican caucus right now, they are the election deniers. They are the they are the insurrectionists. Kevin McCarthy, almost to the hour, two years prior, tried to stop the certification of Joe Biden. Last night, he stood in the same place basically and accepted. The speakership. This is how we reward people. The, these are the consequences yeah. for the insurrection. Yeah. The, the, this is who's running the Republican caucus right now. Uh, yes. And I just want to point out the big winners. Of course, you pointed out the Freedom Caucus, which is now going to hold our um, debt ceiling hostage. And they're going to hold the defense budget hostage, which is really a big win for Russia because we're basically funding Ukraine's war effort Mm -hmm. and it's going to be fucked. Yeah. Uh, Look, you know, I always try to look at the silver lining and the silver lining is, you know, we probably will have Speaker Jeffries in two years. God only knows what's gonna happen, not just within the Republican Party, but as you're pointing out, Maddie. more importantly, what's gonna to happen to this country in those two years? How much more problems are we gonna to have to experience? How far down this road of crazy are we gonna go because of, of what happened last night? We did pass the two-year anniversary of January 6th. I do wanna give a big shout out to the, the the people who protected and defended and gave up their lives and, and bodies and, and state of mental health. To protect and defend this this building, this chamber, this the Congress people themselves, our Constitution, uh, our democracy. You know, people like Michael Fanon and Harry Dunn and all the other cops that that were awarded medals. Finally, yesterday, uh, we have to have a big shout out to them because there's a good chunk of this country. It still doesn't appreciate or respect what they did. And you know, the last thing I want to say is you know, it's two years, two years since that that horrible day and and Donald Trump is not only just still free but he's running for president again think about that think about how you felt on January 7th 2021 and if someone said to you two years from now this guy is still going to be r- walking around and running for president again you'd be like no fucking way and that's where we are hopefully that's going to change in the next couple of months and we'll start to see the indictments come down but this, this has just been a week where it's a lot of reflection, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, and a lot of um, concern over what the, what the future looks like. So let's get to our guest, S.E. Cup. She is a CNN political commentator and most recently host of CNN's S.E. Cup Unfiltered. Before joining CNN, she co-hosted MSNBC's The Cycle. She's a nationally syndicated political columnist, culture critic, author, and consultant who regularly writes for the New York Daily News, Glamour, and CNN.com. She was previously a consultant for Apple TV's The Morning Show, starring Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, and Steve Carell, and also HBO's hit series, The Newsroom. She has been a contributor to The Blaze's Real News and contributing editor for Town Hall Magazine. Se, welcome to the back room.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So we in the back room, before we get into all the Typical political craziness. We like to try to get a window into people's souls, and uh, so <laughs> one of the we we asked two questions: one at the beginning, one at the end, uh, to try to do that. Um, and uh, the first question is: Are you a dog or a cat person?
1: I'm a dog person. I, I have a dog, and I'm allergic to cats. So it that's it was uh, it was meant to be.
0: That's a pretty emphatic <laughs> answer.
1: Preordained.
0: Yeah, yeah. A- allergies uh, pretty much decided for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right.
0: So I want to before we do get into the political stuff. I just want to peel the layer uh, onion layers back a little bit about uh, you uh, because I read some interesting things about you that I didn't I didn't know. Um, You studied ballet in childhood, so you kind of had like an artsy fartsy background.
1: Um, that makes it sound a lot more interesting than it was. I I did ballet for ten years. Um, eventually with Boston Ballet. So I was in a pretty competitive environment. And I'll be honest, it was not fun. It was pretty awful. Uh, While I learned a lot of discipline, you know, it was it was not great. And I am (laughs) pretty scarred from it, actually. And so and other dancers know what I'm talking about. So, you know, it wasn't like um, I had this great hobby that i loved for so many years i I actually kind of hated it
0: (laughs) yeah well i i i would bet a lot of kids hate it because i would bet a lot of parents push their kids to do certain things i'm not saying that's happened to you but just in general you know whether it's a sport or you know dancing or stuff like that sometimes acting like a lot of parents just want to be stage moms and dads and the kids end up hating it you know they don't want to do that crap they want to be out playing with their friends
1: I think a lot of things happen like that, where you lose sight of like, Am I actually enjoying this? Why am I here? Um, in, in my case, it wasn't my parents. I I sort of um on a whim at six or seven decided to take ballet classes. And the ballet school in my town, we didn't know this, was this Vaganova Russian, very serious ballet school. And You know i could have ended up at like the fun dancing school where you do the competitions and you wear the cute clothes and (laughs) the makeup and i I didn't end up there and so i was just on this track um of being yelled at in russian for like the next 10 years and you didn't find
0: that appealing in any way
1: you know it was not a turn-on although i i mean i joke but like it was for me actually i i got addicted to the competitiveness of it and just how badly we were treated. And like when you got, a you know, praise once a year, it was like a drug. And so that's how I stayed in it. I was chasing, you know, getting to the next level or getting better getting praise. And I never enjoyed it. And I didn't realize that until after I quit, like how little I liked it.
0: (laughs) You just reminded me of something which I hadn't thought about in years. My daughter, uh, who's now almost 19, she took uh, uh, gymnastics for a while. And she okay. always claimed that she didn't like it, and, uh, and then she stopped. And then a couple of years after that, I, I, we were talking, and she revealed that she just didn't like the Russian guy who was the instructor. He was just always yelling at her. <laughs> so that's Amazing. Pretty, that is pretty funny. It I, I, sounds like there's probably a lot of that all, all across America. Uh, real you Russian know, a good uh, teacher collusion. Goes
1: a long way, and yeah. a bad teacher really can mess it up forever. Well, that's,
0: that's true. Um, and then so you went off to college, and you sort of had like between grad and undergrad, you you art history and religious studies, which is also another interesting mix. Uh, I wasn't aware. Super of. Super useful. Yeah. Um. Big money and <laughs> there's huge money in religious studies.
1: that's what my jewish mother always said to me go into
0: religious studies forget law religious studies is where the money is
1: never never work another day in your life yeah Yeah. i'm sitting on a huge pile of religious studies money um (laughs) now i luckily you know again my parents didn't push me to do something more useful they said you know study what you want because they knew i'd find my way i was like hyper ambitious so they weren't worried that i was like you know taking an easy class you know they knew I'd figure it out. And I did. And actually, in college, I worked at the college newspaper. And that's where I got my real education. And um, art history was great. And I did a lot of writing in that. And I learned a lot about a lot. But the newspapers where I got my real education, it's where I knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, which was right in some capacity. And so when I left, I ended up at the New York Times. And they had a program where they'd pay for grad school. Uh, if it was somewhat related to what you were doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you had to take one course a semester. So it took me six years to get a two-year master's. Um, but, you know, free education, I'm going to take it. Right. And so I did it. And I, you know, I got a religious studies, sort of a faith studies comparative degree um, at night, which, again, I, I learned a lot about a lot. And mm-hmm. so it, you know, it was it was helpful. Also just helpful to be in a rigorous... Um, academic environment uh, as a writer while I was writing and I was writing my book at the time so it was all helpful but certainly not like here's the path you take right, right. <laughs> you get that art history degree then get that religious studies master and you'll
0: be and then on, and then in cash and in, in. Your time. <laughs> yeah, right. and all your financial dreams will come true um, right <laughs> so no I think it's really interesting to study religion I, I went out with someone for a long time who had studied that in, in college too and and she certainly was not a religious person. She did it just for the intellectual curiosity part of it. And so much of the world is religious, right? And and right. from my perspective, so much of the bad shit in the world is rooted in religion. So it, it seems, it's almost like, you know, you can s- sort of justify, like everyone should get a law degree. No matter what you're going to do in life, you should have a law degree. Yeah. Everyone should also study religion because it's so much of where we all come from. And, and to this day, as we know, and we get into in a, in, a, in a minute impacts so much today you know and it's so it's interesting when I see people who studied religious studies who I never thought would do that because it's an interesting layer of a background you know to have I think
1: well and you're you're absolutely right because it touches everything right I mean from human nature to politics and history and culture you can't get away from it, it you know I'm an atheist I've tried right. <laughs> but you really can't get away from it. And so to learn about religion, either from a historical point of view or even a, a biological one, and what, what I studied in for my master's program, I was looking at the way devotion um, moves people. And what I did is compared it to sports fandom uh, and the ways in which we behave when we are devotional Mm -hmm. um either to a religion or or sports team and there were so many overlaps in the ways we um in the ways we worship the ways we commune that's really important biologically to Mm -hmm. people to be with people who agree with you or see the world the way you do or love the things you love um the rites the rituals the miracles you know i mean there's a ton of stuff in there that uh, to me um seemed instructive uh, and learning about human human nature. Right. And so it was, I thought, very useful. And I think if you have no curiosity about religion, I think you're missing out on a huge right. chunk of, you know, the human condition.
0: <laughs> right. No, I, I totally agree. Now on Twitter, where it says religion you in your bio, you have Jack. Yeah. And I was wondering, does that just mean like, jack shit like no religion or like what does jack mean
1: jack's my son and he is what i worship
0: (laughs) all right boy was i off
1: (laughs) i like where you went and i didn't know i saw that and i was like jack
0: (laughs) jack dorsey like what is what's happening here like (laughs) she worships the twitter founder like what maybe i mean elon musk is like totally fucking that company up now maybe she does worship jack dorsey like it, it, so I'm glad it's, it's something so much more simpler and, and logical. I <laughs> I
1: should revisit that, <laughs> knowing how ambiguous it is.
0: No, it, it, I think it begs questions, which is good. Um, and I like what you, you said. You are you quoted as saying, uh, I, I really aspire to be a person of faith someday. Uh, what does that mean? Why do you want to be a, a person of faith?
1: I think years ago, that was probably true. Um, and certainly as I studied religion, I wrote a book about religion. Um, I, I I admire, I admired religious people and I ha I know a lot. There's a lot in my family. I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic schools. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have evangelicals in my family and born agains in my family. And I, um,
0: sounds like you must've had a fun Thanksgiving.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) yeah. So some some divide. (laughs) Some divides in the family but um, but um i always admired religious people and i thought how what a relief it must be to have this thing this fixed value set this belief to lean on and i don't mean that derisively or condescendingly i no, mean it's... really lean on like that must be very helpful and in times where i've had stress or depression or anxiety or you know been in conflict that would have been really nice and i don't have that um
0: but so do you, do you I, think I you guess... would have do you think you would have utilized it the same way and this is this is i could talk about this particular aspect of this conversation probably for 3 hours but as someone yes. who is yes. super smart right which you are me? yes oh okay <laughs> okay do you think you really could have used that the same way other people do or would you be like uh no that's just hooey-fooey stuff like there's a reason right, why you're an that's atheist
1: how, that, that's why i'm an atheist cuz i can't right. wrap my brain around right. around it so yes i'd have to make that leap if i were a person of faith i i, I wouldn't be me i right. and it doesn't mean i would be well, unthinking that's my point. but but i you know there's a part of my brain that would have to work differently for me to get to to get there and i think if i got there then sure i would use it Uh, but i can't get there i can't buy into i just can't buy into it and that's true of all all the religions they all they all sound incredulous to me um and conflicting and problematic and as you say some in in some ways have been a real force for some not great things
0: Mm -hmm. except the festivist followers
1: they have figured it out they figured it out
0: (laughs) Um,
1: no, and, I, I don't think I could have, I, I can't, I don't think I can get there. So my aspiration to be a person of faith is more theoretical. Like it must be nice, but I don't think I'll Yeah, I well, get
0: there. The point I was making is like when something bad happens, like let's say you're in a hospital because of a loved one is, is really ill, whatever there, there are those people that will go straight to the chapel and pray. Yeah. And then there are those that'll just be on the phone, speed dialing everybody you know to get the, the name of the best surgeon in the East coast. Yep if you're the person, if you're the latter, you're you're probably more likely not to be leaning on religion too much in your life, because in order to lean on religion, you have to buy into the whole thing, like it's God's will, and this and that, and all that stuff that doesn't, to some of us, doesn't make much sense. So I don't know, it's just an interesting thing. Religion is fascinating, because I I mean, I do know really bright people who are very religious, but I, I also we think do. that they they kind of know it's a little bit of a scam
1: (laughs) (laughs) listen whether because I know I mean there are some very smart people in my life my best friend James is um Jewish and you know very serious about his faith and he's a lawyer and you know incredibly rational um and he really does lean on his faith a lot Mm -hmm. and that makes you feel good then I I'm not going to question the way your brain is wrapping around Mm -hmm, it or mm -hmm. Or, or question whether you you really believe it. I mean, I think he really does, and that's helpful, and I love that for him. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. My my late wife, uh, Adrian Shelley, who was an actor and filmmaker, she's she's used to say she's an an optimistic agnostic.
1: <laughs> that's a really nice way of putting it. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: because it's mm-hmm. kind of mean. It means like you're you think most of it's kind of full of shit, but maybe it's not. You know, maybe there's maybe there's well, something. It's a good way there. to hedge your bets. Certainly. Yeah. <laughs> So you, you mentioned anxiety and the, the, the challenges you, you faced and went public with. I think it was about two years ago. You wrote a great piece. I mean, I know people in my life who struggle with, with that. And I think it was really admirable that you uh, went public and, and did that. Uh, first of all, I, I hope that you know, you're doing well, uh, obviously. Uh, but what did you feel... Because a lot of people don't do this. What did you feel it was so important to be public with that?
1: Uh, well, it was a mix of things, really. The first reason is I I had a, like a nervous breakdown two years ago. Um, very suddenly, like hit me like a truck. And the good news in that is that I knew I needed help right away. There mm-hmm. was no like, I'll try to work this out myself. I needed help right away and I got it. Um... But I had a column due <laughs> the next week. And
0: when you're on deadline. <laughs> I
1: couldn't but I could and I couldn't put words together mm. about anything in the world. Political stories, news, things I had been covering for my whole life and wrote about every day. I couldn't. The only thing I could vocalize was how I was feeling. And so one, it was motivated by, you know, I want to turn in a column. I don't like to skip weeks. And then I had just been covering Naomi Osaka, Meghan Markle, Simone Biles, women who had come out with their own mental health stories. Mm -hmm. And I'd been defending them going public because they had been getting some attacks from idiots like Piers Morgan and Megyn Kelly, who were calling them entitled and spoiled and Mm -hmm. all awful things that help no one and are completely unnecessary and a waste of your platform. But uh, so I also felt, well, it would be so hypocritical of me to hide this Mm -hmm. when I'd just been talking about how brave these women were and how helpful it was. And, you know, so it was that combination of things. And when I did, it was liberating. But also I heard from so many people Mm -hmm. who were having the same feelings, going through the same things. And listen, I'm still going through it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I get help in therapy and I'm, I'm writing a lot more about it too. Uh it's it's an ongoing process to un to deprogram the way I had been living for almost all of my life. Mm. Um catastrophizing, you know, focusing on the worst things that could happen, visualizing them, um transferring bad news would, you know, happen to someone else, I would put it on and feel the emotional weight of it and just awful habits that I've been doing for a really long time. So it takes a lot of work to mm-hmm. to declutter that and see the world in a different way. It's hard. It's really hard.
0: Was there a particular? I know that it was probably during the COVID period, also. But was there a particular trigger that yeah. brought on this?
1: There was, and I mean, this is real specific. Um, I, I was I was scrolling on Twitter, doom scrolling, as I do. Um, or did. And I came across a video of a kid on a ventilator during COVID. And listen, I'm in the news business. I see video, awful video all the time, all day long. Sometimes stuff that's too graphic, we don't put it on the air, but I, I have to see it when we're putting stories together. And so I was used to it, but this day, man, my body was like, no. And I had a panic attack and couldn't breathe, couldn't see. Um, And for the next 72 hours, I was completely incapacitated. And that's what I say, like I I needed help right away. There was no sleeping it off. Um, My body was rejecting what it had been doing for so long, this overload of awful news. Um, and it's not just COVID, although that definitely w- made it worse, um, political stuff. I cover the Syrian war and I work with children who are victims of the Syrian civil war. And so that's in my side life, mm-hmm. in the philanthropic work I do. And so it was all of it and it was all the time. And um, my what my therapist said is like I OD'd that day. And so, yeah, there was a trigger, it was, you know, it it could have probably been anything. Kids are particularly tough for me, uh, but, uh, you know, like everyone, but that was what happened that day. And, um, you know, it really challenged me to look at how I was using social media, interpreting the news, processing the news, um, and living like my day to day life. Like, why did I think the ambulance that was going by was coming to my house? Or going to my kids school why right. did i think that you know so uh, there's been it's been a lot of work but i'm i'm getting off the anxiety train is really hard but it's so so important and liberating <laughs> i it's, didn't know you could you could not live like that you yeah
0: know? well it's important i mean again it's it's important what you what you're doing because yeah i read a book years ago great book it was by one of the kennedy kids i think it was patrick maybe calling out how understood mental health is and anxiety and depression is in this country, and how so many people suffer from it, and because of COVID, how many kids now, teenagers, how it's exacerbated that those challenges, and and yeah. how how we need. I think the point of his book was that we, we just need to elevate mental health the same way we to the same level as physical health in terms of how the medical profession views it, how the insurance companies view, like you know, you go to the doctor because your stomach hurts, you get treated, nobody makes any judgments. If you go to the doctor because your head hurts and your mind hurts, then there's something wrong with you. And it's like, you know what, we don't cover that. Or, I mean, it's just crazy. And I think, so for people who have a perch like you do to share those experiences, it's really very valuable and, uh, and admirable to do that.
1: Well, and I also think to your point, in addition to the stigma, anxiety is misunderstood specifically. Because if you don't talk about it, well, people just think. Of course, everyone's worried. Who isn't worried about something? Right. That's not the, what I'm talking. You know, the an- anxiety disorder that I have and other people have is not. Or I'm just. I'm not just worried. <laughs> you know, it's it's a debilitating way of living. It's it's um in a way delusional. It's irrational. You know, catastrophizing is an irrational mm-hmm. thought process, and so to talk about it, I think really gives people some language to use and an understanding of what it what it actually is. And maybe I wouldn't have known I had anxiety until it, you know, I figured it out. So maybe talking about it will let someone know, oh, the way I'm living isn't doesn't have to be that way. Um, And maybe I should get some help for this. Maybe I am suffering and I don't realize it. So that's why I talk about it. So specifically, um, because anxiety, unlike depression and um, some other mental um, challenges, we just don't really define it often, you know, right. and distinguish it from just like day to day, I'm worried.
0: Yeah. And, you know, look, generally, generationally, it's sometimes it's hard for people to of one generation That's to right. understand what, you know, cause like there are people that are probably, like, oh, I have kids today, everybody's there, they all have anxiety, blah, 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 blah. Yep. Well, but yep. you know, Kids probably had a whole shitload of anxiety 50 years ago too, and it's you know it's like like yeah. dyslexia. It's like we didn't know what it what to call right. it or what it looks like, uh, and now we do. So I think that's a great thing. i want to shift to um, uh, like what is your party affiliation today? I kind of feel like it's like it's hard to put you in a bucket the same way it is like with religion. Like you sort of march to the beat of your own drum. Um, are you still like, are are you a registered Republican or are you independent now? Like a lot of ex-Republicans are like, where do you sit today? I know you're, you know, uh, 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 very anti-Trump and and Trumpism and all that, which a lot of people are, but where do you stand with your, with your, your core?
1: I don't know. Um, (laughs) I wrestle with this all the time.
0: Sounds like you're an optimistic conservative.
1: Yeah. Right. And I am actually. And, you know, I'm I'm that's easy. I'm conservative. And that part that, you know, that's a set value mm-hmm. set. And it doesn't change with whoever's in the White House or whatever the Republican Party says it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm conservative. That's easy. But the party affiliation is harder because I don't think they would call me a Republican. And I don't recognize this Republican Party. Right. No, so the Republican Party that I was a part of and worked on the 2012 autopsy when we wanted to reach more millennials and lgbtq and women and minorities um you know that is completely gone that project is gone they don't care about reaching more voters anymore they care about purifying the party so that it's like 100 percent trump concentrate and that's not interesting to me i think that's really gross and dangerous and the policies and principles that the Republicans have jettisoned just to maintain one guy's, you know, minimal interest and favor um, in them, I think is going to have real deleterious effects for the party for decades, not just like right now or maybe a couple of years, but decades. It's going to mm-hmm. be hard for Republicans to win new voters back if, if they if they one day get interested in doing that. So I'm a registered Republican and I vote Republican locally. I mean, my local Republican Mm. lawmakers are great and normal and rational and talk about things like taxes and the debt, normal things, not like book bans. Um, But I'm not like the National Republican Party has no interest in me and the feeling is mutual. And so, (laughs) you know, it's it's almost irrelevant what I what I call myself. And I'm hoping one day to be. A Republican again, the way I was, but the party has to completely reinvent, you know. So it sounds
0: like you're the, the what we've come to know over the years about a lot of people is that you you, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I certainly want to put you in any in any buckets, but like fiscal conservative, socially more liberal, able to vote for Democrats if the Republican candidates are just crazy. Crazy, um, which is where it you know we're seeing a lot of people on the right be these days, uh, especially in the media. I mean, my God, how many ex people on the right wing, or even ex Trump people. I mean, I've talked to, I've had people on this uh, podcast who used to work for Trump, and had another one coming up. And you know, it's um, that's just an easy distinct you know demarcation line is the Trump thing. But once you get beyond Trump, and it's like you still have your conservative values, but Then you can fit in any kind of bucket, you know, like the the fiscal conservative, social liberal bucket, or just hardcore conservative all the way. But, you know, it's like uh, the country has shifted, you know, when you talked about LGBTQ rights, uh, same sex marriage, abortion, blah, blah, blah. Seems like, forget party affiliations, just like most of the country is like, stay out of my life, my business, you know?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when Roe was you know in the news um I was looking back at at abortion statistics and I think really instructive to see where the country is and um I I'm pro-life but I have no issues with Roe I think it should be legal I think abortion should be legal safe and rare which used to be the Democratic platform as well and I Mm. you know I'm pro-life, which means I won't go get an abortion. That's all that means. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, your right to get an abortion is your right, and I support it. And that's actually where most people are. Um, If you go back and look at Gallup's polling on abortion attitudes in this country, from 1976, which is the first time it started polling abortion attitudes, till now, the attitudes on abortion have remained fixed. Meaning the majority of people in this country have always believed that abortion should be legal with some restrictions just under that a uh, minority of Americans have always believed, and this is like almost like a straight line from 70, uh, 1976 to now, have believed that abortion should be legal in all circumstances, no restrictions and way under that, a smaller minority of Americans believe that abortion should be illegal in all cases. Right. So that has not changed in the 50 years that we've had Roe. So when the supreme court comes along and says roe no longer exists <laughs> fend for yourselves and republicans the republican party decides yeah let's go with this the minority of minority opinions right in this country which is with ban all abortions you just think who are you doing this for you know you're doing this for such a small fraction of people. I, I guess it's good that you're giving them a voice. I'm sure they're thrilled with that, but that's not where the country is at. And I think that's the case on a lot.
0: Right, of it. but it, it stems back to the religious conversation. It's religious fanaticism. It's like The Handmaid's Tale. It's just all, it's a bunch of, a small group of white men who've decided what is the right thing to do for everyone and women, especially and it stems from religion when is you know what does when is the bible say you know a child is become a child you know is it conception is it this is it that so um it's kind of crazy but today uh we are uh, on the the second anniversary of january 6th uh deadly insurrection um we were talking about this earlier that it's it's hard to believe it's two years but it's also hard to believe that someone like Trump is still walk not only walking around free, yeah. but running for president again, like mm-hmm. that he has the ability to do that, that, we're, that is, this shit is so normalized that this man can actually be considered a candidate for, for president. What are you feeling today as you look back on that day?
1: Well, I was watching CNN this morning with my <laughs> with my husband and, you know, they were showing footage from the day and I've seen all the footage right Mm -hmm. um and we were both like I still can't believe that happened right you know I still cannot believe that that happened that that many people got swept up in this cult of election denialism and Trumpism and QAnon and white nationalism all this melange of stuff that motivated these people to go and try to overturn an election violently I can't believe that there were that many of those people. I can't believe that Trump still hasn't been held accountable. I can't believe how disorienting it was to see people who probably voted like I did five or 10 years ago Mm -hmm. use an American flag to assault a police officer. Like wild, like world shifting Mm -hmm. stuff. And so I'm still in a bit of disbelief Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm very angry the way I was angry after 9-11 I'm very angry that the people who coerced that and in many cases organized it Mm -hmm. um, and defend it and then whitewashed it are still kicking around and I've been rewarded in some cases for that it it really angers me
0: not to get back to religion but it's like another thing you can kind of a tribute to religion you know it's like trump is like the prophet right so it's whatever the prophet says like it's this crazy cultism um you know i wanted to ask you 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 know you mentioned white nationalism there's also you know christian ethno nationalism uh which i think has a lot to do with not just january 6th but just you know, your ex-party in general. It's like, it's. it seems like the party has completely, utterly co-opted religion in such a diabolically evil way. And January 6th is just a manifestation of that. It's like the cult, yeah. the prophet, this is what we believe. It doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. It's just, it's what, you know, the prophet says and wants and we go do it. I mean, they they literally were waiting on the steps, like with their phones going, is he he tweeted yet? What what, what should we do? Like, I mean, we now know that they were literally there because he sent them there and they were waiting for orders. Like, like he's Jesus.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Orange Jesus. Two two, um, overlapping things happening here. One is that Christian nationalism is a huge part of um Trumpism and was a huge part of January 6th and I you know I've written about the you know Trump is Jesus flags and all of the, the weird religious co-opting of that day um but listen the the relationship between the Republican Party and the evangelical movement is long and mm-hmm. old predates Trump um mm-hmm. and that's a that's one thing the cultism around Trump is i think different um because it obviously has nothing to do with you know christianity he's a terrible christian if you're looking at the way he behaves and nothing that these people did on that day had anything to do with what christianity preaches at least um it's a cultism that is completely outside of religion and reality uh by the way but when you go to like a trump rally and you see people who really believe jfk Jr. is coming back to run with trump
0: wait you mean he he's not yeah are you implying he's not
1: i mean don't tell them but that that guy's dead and and it's sad but he's he's I dead liked he's not him. Back.
0: yeah it's, um, cr- it's insanity it's it,
1: crazy yeah, and so that beyond. cultism that like led someone to to say and it didn't happen that day right this was Trump conditioned people over those years to say, I'm the only person you can trust. You can't you you can no longer trust lawmakers, which I know you mm-hmm. used to used to um, law enforcement. You, I know you love cops. You can't love them anymore. The generals. I know you guys are pro-military. You can't <laughs> trust them anymore. Um, the intelligence community. I know you guys love that, but not, not anymore. It's just me. I'm the only one that matters. So they were conditioned mm-hmm. to believe that. And in some cases, abandon their jobs, their families, part with money, um, friends, their community, their faith, their morals. I mean, all of it was um, abandoned in many cases for this guy. That's cultism. 100% sure. there's no way around it.
0: And you mentioned evangelicalism has always been around, and you're right. But like you know, back in the days of like you know the Ralph Reed event, you know, like back then, if Trump shot someone on Fifth Avenue, like Ralph Reed would go, "Wait a second, we can't that that's <laughs> it. He has to go to jail." Today, the evangelicals are like, "Wait a minute, that nun deserved it." Like, that's the mentality. <laughs> <laughs> that's the mentality like, that exists. There's Ralph no-
1: Reed. Yeah.
0: It's, I mean, it's including in- Ralph Reed. Insane. Like, it is
1: crazy. Um, you know. I mean, you, you,
0: I've read somewhere where you said something like, you, you, you went on record by saying Trump never grabbed you by the genitals, right? But I remember watching the, the Trump rallies a few years ago. And, like, women would be walking around with T-shirts going, he can grab my, you know, anytime he wants. Like really? Like yeah. can your daughter wear that shirt? Like what yeah. the fuck is wrong? What how yeah. and this, this is what we're talking about. It's like there's no logic or reality to anything anymore with these people because it literally is it's Jonestown without the it cyanide. It's Jonestown yet. 100%. Yeah.
1: We hope it doesn't end that way, but listen, <laughs> you know, the there's the there's the group of people who know better. Mm-hmm. And so abandoned principles for power or, mm-hmm. you know, um, to grift. <clears> but there's
0: case. a lot of
1: people who really, yeah, who really just, uh, there's a mental break. Right. And it's it's total cultism, a denial of reality, conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, for, for a lot of people, I think, in the movement, I'm just talking about Republicans who voted for Trump. I'm really talking right. about MAGA, mm-hmm. MAGA Republicans, the kind that were motivated to go to the Capitol on January 6th. It's a total reality break where, you know, wh- what they would have done or said five years ago mm-hmm. is unrecognizable from the person that they are now.
0: Right. And um, uh, it, it, it's... <laughs> so speaking of lack of reality and craziness, what do you make of what's happening in the house right now? <laughs> like that's, that is the definition of insanity. 100%
1: let's do it over and over again, literally get the same result and hope, hope, hope this time magically, um, something changes. It's weird. Like, is there math that Kevin McCarthy knows that I don't, <laughs> is he using the new math? Like, yes, I don't understand just the inability to whip and, and count before any of this happened is the first thing that's mind boggling. And then as it keeps going, we keep hearing, well, there's meetings and you know, he's, he's been talking to some other people and yet nothing like the vote does not change. So I don't know if he, he knows something we don't, maybe that's true. And maybe he is peeling people away secretly. And, but it's, um, it's such um, a humiliating exercise to watch, you know, even if he does squeak this out, what a weakened, you know, position he'll be in. And just imagine, just imagine being Kevin McCarthy and having so little like self-respect dignity integrity mm-hmm. that you would concede that one Everything. person mm-hmm. one person could kick me out at any time sure sure like that's crazy and yet that's just how bad he wants this job
0: yeah well I mean I'm I'm not necessarily a gambling man but I would bet if he becomes speaker which I'm not sure he's going to but if he does within a week Lauren Bobert's gonna ask for some bill and if he says no she's gonna be yes. like vote to vacate like yeah that's how thin his power is it's it is i mean look i'm a libtard and i can't stand these people <laughs> and i i feel humiliation so when they show the yes. when the camera shows him i'm like what and he's Secondhand. laughing and smiling you know because he has to but what is he feeling on it what is his wife his kids his friends like it is pathetic. Like, after the third vote, you might say, all right, maybe there's a method to this madness. They're doing something. They're maneuvering. Right. After 11 votes where he hasn't moved the needle once, right? And the yeah. other side is just as crazy. They're like, you know, we need uh, da- uh, Donald's first black... Uh, what's today? No. Fuck. Screw him. All right. who? Hearn. Now we're going to go... Kevin Hearn. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, now all of a sudden, like, the black guy doesn't matter anymore. It's like, <laughs> they have no idea what they're doing. And it's just such a shit show. But it's like... This is what they promised voters. Like we're gonna we're gonna be more effective and efficient than Democrats. We're gonna be leaders like you've never seen before. They can't even get out of their own way. You know, we, after a week, we don't even have a House. We still don't have a House of Representatives or a Speaker.
1: It's crazy. It's but it was never about vote what, what voters want. Obviously, these people are motivated by their own ambitions on all the sides. Kevin McCarthy, the Lauren Boberts, the Matt Gaetz's. They went to Congress to become famous um and burn it down Mm -hmm. and mccarthy came to congress to be speaker that's really all he wanted and he was happy to abandon you know policies principles convictions to get there and except he didn't he didn't get there you know he did all of that and didn't get there and like i said even if he does he'll be in such a weakened position i said before all this started maybe a month or so ago someone asked if i thought mccarthy would be speaker and i said i think he will but not for long Mm -hmm. because i just knew the caucus like i know these people and what they were gonna do to him. Now, I don't know that he'll actually become speaker, right. but to your point, if he does, it won't be for long.
0: Right, and, and it's just, it's hard not to watch. I, I, I used to do stand up for many years. So I, everything to me goes through the lens of comedy. So it's hard yeah. not to watch uh, this. And like, when I watch it, I, I st- I'm i I'm finding myself watching it as if I'm Chris Rock, because <laughs> like when, 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 when the guys get up and they go like, I'd proudly like to nominate Kevin McCarthy. I can hear Chris Rock going again (laughs) and proud. Like, are you fucking crazy? Like (laughs) one after another, they just keep getting up and going, I'm happy to nominate. Like, where have you guys been the last three days? It's a shit show. Move on, move on. But so, but the as a libertard i'm starting to feel less entertained now and actually like worried for america like if that lunatic in north korea sends a bomb to uh, a missile to california like we have no house of representatives that can sit down and weigh the options we don't yeah. have i think that's what people don't really understand we it's not just about the speaker we can't have we can't swear the rest of them in unless there's a speaker so we have only one chamber of con- congress after a week of of supposedly the 118th congress uh beginning its session that is just crazy so it's starting to get a little dangerous that you too know real. they're it's not functioning yeah. yeah um well. i want to ask you about mike pence you wrote a piece recently um hmm. i think you and i agree one billion percent on on mike pence but you you said uh, it's called the piece is called mike pence has no prayer of winning in 2024, which I think is an interesting play on words, by the way. I'm sure you intended it that way. Um, Quote, among the GOP's biggest base of voters are the MAGA crowd, and we largely know how they feel about him. They told us as they marched on the Capitol on January 6th, yelling, hang Mike Pence. Yet Mike Pence can't still seem to (laughs) condemn Donald Trump. He's like, I hope they don't uh, indict this guy. Like, what? What? What he tried to hang it's you so
1: like emasculating these men. Oh, god, we've been so emasculated.
0: I literally feel her, my right? testicles shrinking when I when Mike Pence talks, like, literally, yeah. my testicles are shrinking.
1: So are mine, and I don't have any, but like, <laughs> it's just so humili... <laughs> I'm humiliated for them, and I don't know how they withstand it. They not only withstand it, they like they, they love it. Um, and you know, Kevin McCarthy was my Kevin to Trump. It's just so humiliating and emasculating. And uh, I mean, Mike Pence can't see that in order to become president, he'd need the very guys who voted who who yelled, hang Mike Pence to vote for him. <laughs> That's crazy math. That doesn't make any sense. And yet he's not willing to go for the other guys. Maybe people like me who thought Trump was terrible
0: mm-hmm.
1: and but still want some conservative you know, principles and values and policies. Mm-hmm. He's not smart enough to go for people like me by saying, yeah, Trump was terrible. He should not run again for president. He shouldn't be president. He should be disqualified and it, he should be indicted. Right. Like that's not hard to say. He won't say it. So he's got no one. He's got no friends. He's got no voters. I don't. No what well, he's you, thinking Well,
0: you you write that, uh and I quote, Pence somehow thinks he can split the baby, lightly criticizing Trump to re ingratiate himself with the never Trump crowd while defending Trump to keep MAGA happy. Except in trying to please everyone, he's pleasing no one. Which is exactly what i saying. No one likes them. Yeah. Well what does he Nobody represent? Likes
1: him. Who are his constituents? Who is his voter base? It doesn't exist. No. And- it-
0: it's kind of sad that, you know, you, when you look at history, you judge all this from the lens of history, you take a guy like Dick Cheney, right, who, like him or not, mm-hmm. probably the most powerful, influential vice president in history, right? Yeah. Then you look at uh, Pence, probably the, the weakest, most meaningless. And then as a candidate for potential candidate for president, just so weak and feckless and offering nothing in terms of character or leadership or strength, like what does he offer people what is he offering people
1: i don't i don't know and i say that as someone who once really liked mike pence um i interviewed him i did a long feature uh in a magazine um and went up to indiana indianapolis and spent a day with him and um he's smart and even though we weren't aligned religiously or socially we were very aligned fiscally you know he was like a deficit hawk and then when in know to the trump administration blew up the debt the deficit like he abandoned all the things that i liked about him in the first place and so um i don't think he had once he decided okay even though trump and i completely disagree on virtually everything i'm still gonna go and work for him carry his water defend him support him once he made that decision right i think his fate was sealed because he immediately lost me the wing of you know, my wing of the party. Mm-hmm. And he was he was never going to be, you know, everything that MAGA wanted him to be. He was never going to be the next in line. Trump didn't care about Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't, to me, I thought, okay, well, he doesn't want to be president anymore, clearly. Mm-hmm. And yet here we are. He's running out to like New Hampshire every few weeks and Iowa, clearly thinking about running for president.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, he, he doesn't he's a coward and I don't think he has the balls to run for president because it's hard to imagine him on a stage with Trump who would eviscerate him literally yes, and just humiliate evi-
1: him even more. Yeah. If that's possible. I mean, Trump called him the P word already. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know how uh, how more humiliated he wants to be, but he would humiliate him even more.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, that would be an an interesting moment on the debate stage if, if one of the moderators said, "Mr. Trump, you've called him a p word. Uh, is he a p you word?" Might
1: not, this might not be hypothetical.
0: <laughs> that would be so crazy. That would be the where like a, like on, on the debate stage, a presidential candidate, a former pre- is literally asked if he's called one of his opponents a pussy. I mean, it's just who used we- <laughs> to be his vice president. <laughs> who used to be his <laughs> vice president? It, it, it's it's so insane. It, all of it is insane so liz cheney this is the last thing i want to ask you about um is she the future of the party
1: you know i was about to bring her up because in a different way she also has no pathway (laughs) to the presidency um for different reasons i mean similarly um she she is well, very courageous in doing what she did and standing up to Trump and the Republican party and losing her job over it, which was the right thing to do. I have to remind my friends on the left that she is very conservative, like w- more conservative than I am. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously more conservative than Trump, maybe even more conservative than Pence. Like she's very conservative. Mm-hmm. So that as much as, you know, the rules and Democrats praise her, I think she's not winning any of their vote for like major office because all of her policies would be objectionable to most Democrats. Um, and then over on, on the right, similarly depends. she's now looked at as a traitor because of her stance, uh, against Trump. So she's lost MAGA completely. Then there are people like me left, um, who might, but again, she's a little too conservative for me. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not sure there are enough me's Mm -hmm. left to 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 vote Mm -hmm. her into office. And so I I think she has a slim path to the presidency as well. But I think she can still be a very important voice, a moderating voice, um, not ideologically, but a moderating voice for like where the Republican Party should go and Mm -hmm. remembering its roots and remembering the policy positions that it cared about instead of this, you know, the, the the crappy culture wars that they're Is there is them. there
0: someone that you think of for 24 that uh, in in a in the sense of a, attracting someone like you, someone that can even attract some folks on the on the left perhaps? Is there a star in the Republican party who who is that if there is one?
1: I don't know that there's anyone that could attract someone on the left, but um, you know, I look at Adam Kinzinger as a, mm-hmm. a rising star of the party and I've, I've known him a long time and I think, you know, going on the Jan 6 committee and really taking Trump on, I think help, helps him. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it definitely distinguished him, but again, he'll have the same problem. There aren't enough me's, um, to probably get him elected and I'm not sure he would attract folks on the left um just ideologically mm-hmm. but i don't know that we need someone to straddle mm-hmm. um the parties to win a national election again we we the right i think we we just need a good common sense conservative and a little luck with the democratic candidate right mm-hmm. we need we need someone who's kind of a, a weaker candidate and then i think we could win a national election again if we reminded mm-hmm. voters who maybe were disappointed in Democrats or sat out or independents disappointed in Trump, that there's a common sense conservatism still kicking Mm -hmm. around somewhere. And we don't want regressive bullshit like book bans and abortion bans. We just want like fiscal responsibility, Mm -hmm. some common sense foreign policy.
0: Sounds like you're talking about Larry Hogan.
1: Larry Hogan is fantastic. Larry Hogan has the same problem. MAGA hates him. So so I'm going to ask you
0: about MAGA, because Mm -hmm. if you look at uh, everybody talks about Trump's base, I've always said that like if you how I define the base is like this is everyone that voted for him in 16. Okay, from the Marjorie Taylor Greens to the surgeon who just wants lower taxes. Yes, we we know over the years that base has shrunk. Right. Where it's somewhere. And now we see this week like he puts out an edict vote for McCarthy. No one gives a shit. (laughs) <laughs> Matt Gates nominates yeah. him for speaker, he gets one vote. No one's afraid of him anymore, at least in the same way. His relevance has dwindled dramatically. Is it possible that six months, a year from now, two years from now, that the big lie gets exposed, he gets exposed, and then, then all of a sudden the Republican base starts to widen again where it becomes more normal like is that a possible scenario
1: you're right about his base diminishing but like I said it's also condensing it's getting more and more pure and so they're they're they they get less and less gettable for anyone else so yes they're shrinking but they're so firmly with Trump you have to write off 25 percent of the party right write them off you're not if you're not Trump you're not getting them right well that's a significant chunk you know 25 sure percent is. is a significant chunk of any voter base. So then you have to think, okay, how do we get 75% of the rest of the party to compete with the left? And who does that? Mm -hmm. You know, is it Ron DeSantis? Is it is it Larry Hogan? You have to imagine that some of the people who aren't with the 25% of MAGA still really want someone like DeSantis, Mm -hmm. not Hogan. And so I mean, it's very hard to see how the right nominates someone who is um, you know, rational, not MAGA, principled, who has a chance of winning?
0: Mm-hmm. Very
1: hard to see that.
0: Right. So uh, this is the part where we ask our second window into the soul question. Okay, okay. Music is a big window into the soul. So Great. who? Would, okay. I wanna know Essie Cup's top five musical artists of all time, all time. Great.
1: Um, number one is Queen. Oh, cool. Um, number two probably the Beatles. Uh, number three. Fleetwood Mac. Uh, number four. Maybe Elton John. Number five. This will blow your mind. Thin Lizzy.
0: Ooh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy you threw the Beatles in there because I've done this like dozens of times now and I think you're the second person to say the Beatles. It's, I know it's, it's, it's insane. It's
1: obligatory.
0: Obligatory. Exactly. It There's the Beatles and then there's everyone else in my book. But yeah, we've 100%. gotten like everybody from Taylor Swift to <gasps> Bieber and like... No, no, versus no, no, the no, beatles no, no. what bieber versus the beatles yeah bieber in the top five not the beatles yeah i won't say who that was actually oh, I don't you have who to it was. Uh, i can't i can't maybe offline offline out. i'll tell you i'll tell i'll email email you that <laughs> <laughs> but i was like are you crazy beatles anyway Essie, you've been very generous with your time you've been an incredible uh conversationalist i really enjoyed this and uh, i do hope you'll come back again
1: I enjoyed it, too. Thank you so much. It was a great conversation. I appreciated
0: it. All righty. Take care. Okay. So there you have it. Episode 32 in the can. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So leave us a message at 845-307-7446. Email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at andyostroy. And please leave a review if you like the pod. Reviews are important. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg. Associate Producer Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wynn and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our amazing guest, S.E. Cup. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.